welcome back to Techie and the Blonde. Someone once said, if people like you, they'll listen to you. But if they trust you, they'll do business with you. I think that's a perfect way to introduce our guest today, Chris Morgan, leader in software-based marketing technology, previous CRO, Chief Revenue Officer of Moat, a company which serves to deliver solutions that measure viewability, time spent, and brand safety across platforms. Chris helped build Moat from very little revenue to over $100 million ARR annual reoccurring revenue, which was later acquired by Oracle for a recorded $800 plus million, where he then served in various executive roles. In 2016, he was listed in Adweek 50, a list of the year's most indispensable executives in marketing, media, and tech disciplines. Basically, the best talent in the business. It's not a surprise as Chris has always been a true leader and been able to create teams around him of amazing talent that enjoy working with him as much as they do for him. I can honestly say that I knew this about him years before I ever met him. As a frequent patron of one of his very early business operations where his employees were having as much fun as we were. We'll get into that more later. I'm happy to call him our friend and super thrilled he agreed to talk to us today because aside from myself, I'm pretty sure his beautiful wife, who happens to be one of my favorite people and fellow blondes, would also love to really understand what he does. We are excited to welcome as our first featured guest on Techie and the Blonde, Chris Morgan. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. We are here. We're live. We're doing this. Let's go. We're doing it. I love it. (laughs) So, Chris, as you know, in the last 20 years, sales and marketing have really transformed from what I knew anyway as a kid growing up watching movies like Wall Street and Boiler Room and one of my all-time classic favorites, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, to what is today. <laughs> is that when? That, that was way before, your time, <laughs> way before okay. your time. Uh, to, to what we, we really have today, which is AI-based, sequence-based marketing campaigns that really give you insights into customers that we never really had before. So my first question is, does technology really provide an advantage to one company over another? Well, first of all, if we if we back up a little bit to the the Glengarry, Glen Ross days or the <laughs> sort of 80s archetype of what a salesperson um, used to look like or is or, or was, um, I've sort of spent my entire career in some capacity in sales and around revenue teams. And I think the first reaction that I get from people that meet me is, there's no way you're a salesperson. Um, you don't even talk. And so, so I, think, I think sales has changed a lot because I think it's enabled um, someone like me to be in sales. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of technology now that helps to drive sales. So we have um, tools that help us set up an email cadence so we can continue to reach out to, to prospects at a, at a specific cadence. We have data that helps us understand intent. So is someone searching for your products and can you send them an email at the right time while they're looking for that product? We have AI tools that help us to understand um, our pipeline and which deals have the highest probability of closing. So there's certainly lots of tools and technology that's helped to empower sales teams. Um, I think the other thing to think about is those same tools and that same technology has also empowered the buyer. Um, And I would argue that that's been really powerful for buyers. So buyers have a lot more information now coming into into a sales process. So I think in the end, who 
who ultimately wins is the best products. So the best products, the products that have the best brands, the products that actually work are, are ultimately the winners. So yeah, sales is, is really different than what it's looked like in the past, but I think that's all, all for the better. That's great. That's interesting because I actually demoed a platform um, a couple of weeks back that I thought was a little too insightful to customer data because it actually not only uh, looked at where someone was browsing, but then it attached itself to that user for B2B search. And anywhere they went in Google after that, it actually continued to collect information on them. So it knew, for example, in my industry, that that same user that was looking for mobile enterprise mobility management, for example, then went to Verizon and downloaded a data sheet from Verizon, then went to AT&T and downloaded a different data sheet. But I guess what you're saying, which is interesting, is it's almost leveling the playing field because now you've got customers that have a lot more information at their fingertips and you've got marketers that have a lot more information at their fingertips. So you're leveling the playing field, but ultimately it sounds like the products that will win is, is more about how good the product is, not just how good the platform is that's getting you that lead or getting you that prospect. I think that's right. I think, I think the idea of a salesperson showing up and being super convincing and getting someone to use a product that doesn't provide value, I think those, I think those days are gone. I think in terms of sort of the product understanding who you're going after and the ad perhaps following you around the internet. I think the way you need to think about that is sort of at the expense of what. So uh, maybe we would be more efficient. Maybe we would have a higher close rate. Maybe we would get only the people that are looking for our product, but maybe at the same time, we're ultimately destroying our brand, right? People are sort of a little bit freaked out when they when they see an ad following them around all over the place. And it's a little bit creepy. It's a little bit weird. I guess I was actually just mentioning to Max that I was looking for a piece of furniture for the house. From, from a consumer perspective, I was looking online and I didn't check out. I had it in my cart. And for the next few days, the company keeps sending me advertising, <laughs> maybe a discount if you know. But I guess that is the exact there is definitely not necessarily a salesperson chasing me. It's just the ongoing. It's the internet's chasing you. The internet is chasing yeah. you everywhere. Everyone knows I like a good quote. So I'm going to tell you a Warren Buffett quote. He said in business, um, he looks for economic castles protected by unbreachable moats. I guess meaning a business's ability to maintain competitive advantage while protecting its long-term profits. Is that the theory that you believe Moat was created around? Yep, absolutely. So I think when we think about Moat the, Moat the business, we were, we were focused on sort of super high level making brand advertising better. And so, so what does that ultimately mean? As, as Buffett said, a company ultimately needs to have some kind of durable competitive advantage. And in many cases, that advantage is the brand. So if you think about um, an example that he cites pretty often, a company like Coca-Cola, you could go anywhere in the world and you see that red and white can and you immediately know it's Coke. You could pretty much ask any person on the planet, you hold up a red and white can, they know exactly what it is. And there's sort of a presence of mind that comes with that, that brand. Um, and so I think the best businesses are ultimately 
survive because they've built some kind of moat. In this case, that moat is their brand. And so at Moat the Business, we were focused on helping make brand advertising better. So we wanted to help companies build or widen or deepen their moats. Do you find or did you find that working with larger corporations to help them uh, create better brand awareness or grow revenue around their brand? Does, does that really separate a large corporation from a small business or a startup business? I think so. I think any business can can build a moat. So I don't necessarily think that it has to be a big business or a small business, but they have to understand what their moat is. So the other example that Buffett uh, often cites is one of his businesses, Geico. They're the low cost provider. So if you're looking for insurance, there's no cheaper place to get insurance. Than is that the one with the Geico. little the Geico, the little Aflac. Aflac. No, that's not Aflac. Aflac. That's the Geico. Yeah. The doc is Aflac. It's a lot of animals and insurance. <laughs> yeah, what's with the animals? And so you just said you love quotes. I actually saw a quote right before this. So Apparently, Apple released a, a new set of headphones today. Oh, yeah. AirPods that go over your oh, ears. Oh, that is what I've always wanted. I think like, I hate that they fall right out of your ears. They look like beats. And, and so a bunch of people were saying, wow, Apple AirPods, headphones. Wow, it's amazing. And somebody said, if you want to spend $550 on headphones, and who doesn't, there are some really amazing ones. They will sound better, look nicer, hold up longer, and not have unserviceable batteries and other parts like I bet these do. And so this person was basically sort of knocking Apple for selling $550 headsets that probably don't perform as well as a lot of others. But guess what? Everybody's going to buy them. Everybody's going to buy them. There'll be a line around the block the day that those headphones are available. And the reason is because they've built a brand. They've built a moat. In the end of the day, most of these technology products aren't really distinguishable between one another. So if you take the iPhone, for example, versus the Samsung or any other phone, they all essentially do the same thing. Oh, don't tell my kids that. <laughs> they, they all make a... Do they really all Or my wife. <laughs> they make a call. They send, well, send an email. They take a picture. iPhone to iPhone when someone in the room is on an Android. That's because <laughs> Apple's brand taught you that iMessage is the most important thing on the planet. Yeah, but you are. So this is the... Um, but the point is, people will line up around the block for an Apple product just because it feels like they should. It just feels good. There's something about the way the product feels, the way it works. You open the box, it just kind of feels comfortable. Right. And people will line up and pay $550 for headphones just because. And so that's their moat. Like I had mentioned before to you guys, from a blonde's perspective, of what, something that a female can relate to is... Um, mascara maybelline mascara because you know i grew up with it my mother grew up with it and i know you know the song and you want to sing it maybe she's born with it maybe it's maybelline maybe it's maybelline yeah sometimes you're born with it everyone now is singing it in their heads but it's classic it's this pink and green bottle we all know it we could all picture it it has been a classic yeah, I think that's right. I think that's another perfect example. The 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 color, the look, the feel of the bottle, the jingle that goes along with it. I think I think that's a I think that's another example of a moat. They've built a moat by building a brand around that business. I'm gonna be singing that song all night. Maybe you're born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> uh, one one other question I had, just just to kind of bring it back outside of large brands and 
and uh, large corporations, anyone that's building a sales organization or a new product, uh, they, they, they're almost overwhelmed with, with the amount of new platforms being introduced out of Silicon Valley and New York City and all the other technology hubs. How do you choose the right platform? And is it enough? Is it enough to build a new outreach campaign for a new brand or a new corporation? So I think in terms of choosing the right platform, what I can tell you is we were big experimenters at Moat. So we tried every platform, whatever came around, we tested it, we tried it out, we gave it to the salespeople. We let them try to understand, is this going to move the needle? Is this going to make their day better? Is this going to make them more efficient? Is this going to make them happier? Is this going to make them more successful? So I think... You know, as we were talking about earlier, the best products just work. And the way to figure that out is to test them and trial them. And I would encourage everybody to, to try as many products as possible. Is there also a human element to, to that success, to that outreach, to that, I guess, a brain representation within a company? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, sort of the, the old adage that, you know, people do business with people. I think that, that, that still holds up. And I think that's true. And I think that'll be, I think that'll be true forever. Ultimately, you know, people want to do people business with people they can trust. And so you can, you know, set an outreach campaign, um, and set up a, a sales cadence to, you know, reach out to your prospects four times a week based on whatever action they, they take. But Ultimately, someone has to do that. A, a human needs to program that. A human needs to understand the responses that that are coming back. I think, um, you know, what I've seen is the the best companies, the best businesses, the best teams are really all about people. It's really all about how can you assemble a team that's going to go out and tell your brand story, your business's story, in a really meaningful and thoughtful way. And no piece of technology, I think, I don't think, is going to replace sort of what what a human can do in terms of um, understanding a story and sort of relaying it with some sense of emotion. So how do you, how would you suggest, I mean, you're a really good picker. You've always been surrounded by great teams and talented people. How do you, what is something you look for? To- well, I don't know if there is one thing. And I think that the recruiters, for example, that I've worked with over yeah. the years get pretty frustrated. So they'll call and say, Hey, so tell me about the companies that, that you want us to go and try and recruit from. Give me the list of your top five competitors and what the profile is of the person that you want. And my answer is always something along the lines of, I'll, I'll know it when I see it. And I don't think they like that. And maybe that's not repeatable or maybe that's not, that's not scalable, but for me, it sort of comes down to a set of a set of behaviors and a set of attributes. So, um, an incredible attention to detail. So, someone that's going to look at all of the details in in everything that they do. Um, a positive attitude at all times. So, there's sort of no replacement for a positive attitude. The ability to get things done really quickly, which we've always referred to as clock speed. So, how how fast can someone get something done? Um, and then the final piece would be what I've always described as a humble confidence. So they, they have a confidence that they know what they're doing. They know how to get their job done, um, but they're humble about it and they're, they're thoughtful about it. And so some combination of those attributes, I think the rest of it could all, can all be taught. Um, the other thing that I've seen is typically people that have gone through some kind of adversity 
Um, and I'm not sure how you screen for that, but yeah. people that have, have gone through something real in their life, um, whether it's having to move around the world or the country a dozen times growing up, or they face some kind of significant challenge with their, their family, like, like we probably all have. Um, those are the people that are, are generally sort of hardened um, and have the ability to kind of keep pushing when things get tough. And, and I think um, success is really just persistence, just kind of keep, keep going and never give up. What do they call that thing? Like the, the, the canoe test or something? Like if you were stuck with this person for like six hours <laughs> and a canoe, like that's oh, like yeah. the test of would you want to hire them? I agree with that. How many hours? <laughs> six hours. That's, that's a lot of time on a, on a canoe. I wonder if part of business success is actually surrounding yourself not only with smart people and capable people, but people that you actually want to spend time with. Yeah, I think so. That would make tons of sense. The heyday of Moat was just that. Like, I, I would race to get there in the morning. If, <laughs> I remember your you wife realize. would tell me, oh, there he goes again. Off to work. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the, the sports analogies to business are stupid, but it's kind of like you're like on some team and you're like making some like playoff run and you're like deep into the playoffs so interesting i do think that that makes sense i wonder if you also notice that people who who could benefit from the product they're selling themselves aside from just being interested in it or a talented and everything you're saying her totally totally yeah i think i think especially in sales nowadays it's it's really just about educating right people want to learn, is this product going to help me? And, and who's a better teacher than someone that's actually right. used that product and actually believes in it? So interesting. Yeah, that that definitely is. I mean, I, I look at it as well uh, because I, I do get reached out by, by a lot of different vendors in the business that I'm in. And it's interesting because that human factor is usually the driving force to, to what makes me look at one solution over another. I learned many years ago, I used to get a lot of these, you know, consistent emails and reach outs on LinkedIn and other networks that just kept hounding me and hounding me. And it got to a point where I thought, you know, I was going to have to get a restraining order against some of these people because <laughs> they're so persistent. But then I learned that a lot of it, what was really behind the scene were these AI driven campaigns. And when I finally did reach back and said, you know what, it's interesting. I want to hear more about your product. It was a third party trying to book a meeting for somebody else versus I'd have people reach out to me and they did it in a very respectful way. And it was timed. It wasn't like, you know, 26 touch points. It was more like six touch points. And, and those are the people when I looked them up and I, I validated as a user, are they real? And I'd look, look them up on LinkedIn and other areas in social and when I saw they were someone that, that had something in common with me, or it almost makes it more relatable. It makes it easier to want us to speak to them and converse with them and eventually buy from them. One of the really simple things that we did at, at Moat was when there was an inbound lead, and these are sort of like really, really simple business philosophies, and they, they sound kind of so simple that they sound silly, but when an inbound lead came in for someone that was requesting a demo of the product, we had a rule that we had to try to get back to them within 30 minutes. And the first thing that we would do when we got them on the phone was give them a demo of the product. Um, and we didn't try to qualify them three times. We didn't ask them if they wanted to schedule a meeting sometime next week so we could learn about their needs. They reached out for a demo 
And within 15 minutes or 30 minutes, we gave them a demo. I think those sort of really, really simple business practices that sometimes get sort of washed away in, in business books are the things that make a difference. That's amazing. That's, that's actually sometimes oversimplifying is really what people are looking for. And I can, I can to- totally relate to that because I get over-messaged all the time and I kind of wish half the time when I'm asking for a demo, the people just get on the phone and give me the demo. I don't want to schedule 30 minutes at the end of next week. I want the demo. Yeah, so you I totally you, you want to do it when you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it now. I want the demo now. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I want to, I want to talk about your history a little bit. So around 20 years ago, my wife tells me that uh, <laughs> she was a patron in, in one of your, your original businesses, a local bar or a local club. I'm not sure. Was it a I bar or a club? A lounge. A lounge. A local. Would you call yes, it a lounge? a local lounge. Well, that's, that's what, what, yeah, what would you call it a lounge? I would call it a lounge. I think if I remember one of the articles, it said something along the lines <laughs> of, this is one of the first Manhattan style lounges that's actually managed to flourish. This no. was this was around 20 years ago. And since you're 25, that means you were visiting a bar no, when you were five years old. How does that even work? You know what? I used to just know the bouncers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, it was in the late 90s. Can we say the name? We could say the name. Oh, Virago. Everyone out there remember Virago. Let me tell you. Let me just give you a little background. Oh it was like... Should I put earmuffs on? No. <laughs> There's nothing. I can't. I, I actually will say that I, in the late 90s, I would come off of my late shifts and I would quickly change and rush to Long Island to meet my girlfriend. Late shift doing what? <laughs> in, in the hospital. My shift during the time was 3 to 11.30. So I would give report and I would quickly change in the hospital bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and drive and I meet my girlfriends at this hot lounge it was like sexy swanky it was like the first time we found a spot that was like when we were living in Manhattan and honestly it was really a great spot and I was I remember the day years later when I found out that this was your bar maybe we should open up a pop-up Virago pop-up Virago just for the holidays We'll get like a little, you can get those little igloos. Yeah. Just do get a can, parking lot can you get a temporary liquor license? Is that how that works? I'm not sure about who knows? that. Who knows? It's 2020 still. Who knows if anything goes? Anything's oh, possible. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I like it. Rose's lime juice. <laughs> Always. That's all we need. By the way, Rose's lime juice will make any drink better. And everyone should have it on their shelf in their liquor cabinet. So back to my question. <laughs> Marketing 20 years ago compared to today, when I think of marketing 20 years ago, I think of putting flyers on cars and going to the coolest kid on the block and telling him to tell everybody about this great place. How how did that early experience uh, really influence uh, your career? And, and how do you compare marketing back then to what it, it has become now 20 years later? So... That's an interesting parallel, and I hadn't thought about that till now. So for for those listening um, that aren't aware of how bars and nightclubs and marketed were marketed in the 90s, you would essentially go to a printer and you would print up about 25,000 three by five cards with some sort of promotion on them. Ladies drink free, 
um, or whatever the promotion was with a, a cool looking image and something that would draw people in. And then you would take those cards and you would go to the colleges, all of the local colleges, and you would put them in every classroom on every desk. You would put them on every windshield of every car. Literally tens of thousands of those cards would get distributed all leading up to a, a single night where we were trying to get a bunch of people to come down. The other interesting parallel, and which is sort of the equivalent today of sort of online direct targeted marketing, we were literally sending our message directly to the college students that we were trying to attract. Um, the other channel that we used, which I guess I just thought of the parallel, was influencers. So we would find promoters who were just people that happened to know a whole bunch of people. We would give them tens of thousands of these same exact cards with a little stamp on it, which is the modern day uh, equivalent to an affiliate. And we would say, go out and hand out these cards, get all of your friends to come, and we'd pay you a few bucks for everybody that came through the door. It's like so, the original influencer. It's the original influencer. That's wow. interesting. Pretty, pretty crazy so, when you think yeah, about it. Cool. Um, but so I think, I think there's a lot of parallels that we sort of just came up with um, between some of the marketing approaches that maybe a direct response marketing business would use now. But I think what's, what's really similar between maybe what what a business like that was trying to do, or at least what we were trying to do with that business, um, and and what what I've tried to do with some businesses um, over the last ten years is to create a brand that that gave the consumers some kind of meaningful experience, something that was memorable. We're we're here twenty years later, and we're we're talking about it, so hopefully it was memorable. It was memorable. <laughs> it was. <laughs> And, and I think, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> and I, I think that's the idea. I think you, you know, brands are storytellers and their, their job, their role is to go out and tell their story to people that have some sense of shared values and hopefully they can connect with them in a meaningful way. And then when they do connect with them, give them a great experience, give them a great product, whether it's a piece of enterprise software that you log into and it just feels like, wow, this is really doing the thing that I hoped it would do. Or it's a nightclub that, that gives you a night that's memorable 20 years later. I think in the end of the day, it's really just about creating a great experience. You had mentioned influencers and the original one just now, but regarding influencers versus brand ambassadors, I was always under the impression that an influencer is basically someone that a company is basically, you're using the influencer, you're using their product, their brand per se. And the ambassador is more of, they're more invested in your product. So they're going to carry you the long run. They're going to be the ones that are still using your product and promoting your product. Is that correct? And if so, wouldn't why, what would make you choose one versus the other? Why would a company go with an influencer or an ambassador? I thought the blonde was supposed to simplify things, <laughs> not make it more complicated. Chris, Jeez, I she's have, a very smart blonde. These are that I waited for a long time to ask you. <laughs> but in the so, long run. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the difference, I guess, now that we're saying it out loud, I'm not sure what the difference between an ambassador and an influencer is, I think whichever one is more authentic is, is, is the one that I would want. Right. So the, the person that's actually used the product, um, that can speak about the product with, with, you know, some sense of, Hey, I've used this thing. I'm willing to stand by it. 
Um, it really means a lot to me. It's something that I use every day, every week, every month. It's a big part of my life. Like they understand the product. Um, they're not just sort of out there trying to, to push it in, in kind of an insincere way. I think maybe that's common sense, but I think, I think that's probably what people are after. They want, at least I would want sort of the, the person that has a connection to that, that product and can really tell me about what their experience is like. I love my Avino skincare products and I was definitely sold on it's this. It's working. Honey. <laughs> I was it's sold. Jennifer working. Aniston just is so gorgeous and her skin looks so nice that I definitely bought it because she uses it. That's a real brand ambassador. I mean, could you guys think of anything that you have chosen because of someone you've seen that you like using it? You purchased. Oh, you have- Brett Favre and those Lee jeans. You got to give me some Lee jeans. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm saying like, it's true. You know, I would think that you have to really, you have to really like the person that you are purchasing a product just because they say it's good. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's the idea of the brand. That person should be the embodiment of that brand. Regarding all these online things and and searches and pop-ups do you really believe I, I sometimes notice that when we're talking about things like even right now later on I'll get a little ad and when I go onto Instagram there'll be something that pops up or I'll go on my laptop and what we were talking about will pop up does that even is that real does that because I feel like that happens to me all the time it happens to me too I think it's I think it's absolutely real I think the the, so the, the promise of the internet, I think in some ways, particularly for advertising, for digital advertising was that everything was going to be super measurable and super sort of trackable. So anything that, that you did as an advertiser, you'd be able to measure and you would know just how effective it was. And, and so how far has that gone, right? Has it gone to the point where we're talking in Marshall amps and I'm going to walk inside and <laughs> see, see an ad for Marshall amps. So I think time will tell. Yeah. I think what companies need to do is figure out. So all of this stuff is, is certainly possible with, with technology. It's, it's kind of not a big deal to implement anymore, but the question is how far do you really go? So when I go inside and I turn on Netflix, I want Netflix to give me the perfect suggestion of exactly what I want to view. If I go out to dinner with my wife for our anniversary, I want the restaurant to know when I walk through that they're going to bring out our favorite dessert at the end of the meal because they knew it was our anniversary because they had that information somewhere. If I check into a hotel, I want the pillow that I want and I want them to not call the room and I want late checkout and I want all my preferences to be understood. So I think, I think in those ways, all of this technology makes life better, makes life easier, makes life enjoyable. It's those sort of um, spontaneous moments that are amazing. I think where it kind of goes too far is the, the ad following you around. Um, and I, I think companies just need to think about sort of where that line is and what consumers are comfortable with. It is a little scary sometimes. I was telling Max that I kept seeing this one ad. We were looking for a coffee maker and I kept seeing it and it was pissing me off, you know? And then I bought it. Because <laughs> I just, it was like. So it worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. So it's interesting that um, we're seeing more and more big box stores actually going smaller. But saving themselves in a way where they're joining partnerships with 
digital aware companies like how Kohl's now will have Amazon inside way in the back, but Amazon is in Kohl's. And now they just recently this week announced that they're doing a partnership with Sephora. I think it's interesting that they're, it's like maybe possibly the last resort for big box stores to save their brick and mortar by reserving some of their retail space for these partnerships. Yeah, I think there's still a place for for physical retail. And I think though there always will be. So I, I love, um, you know, e-commerce, um, as much or, or, or more than anybody. I think what we've seen over the last year, I think we've seen lots of people sort of adopt the behaviors of 20 year olds, right? So everybody's using Instacart. Everybody's using Uber Eats. My, my right. parents are. Well, this are, pandemic yeah. definitely has such an influence on that because it was like the only way we could do things. Totally. And so I think, I think those behaviors are now here to, to stay. I think we just sort of fast forwarded time a little bit. They were coming. They just came a little bit faster. But I still think there's something special about sort of the right uh, in-store retail experience. So um, I think there's certain certain experiences when done right, where you could walk into a store and, and pick up and hold and feel a physical product. And that store knows about you before you walk in. I think, I think those are great things. And I think, you know, the sort of maybe the legacy retailers will have to adapt and adjust to what it looks like now. But, um, but, but I, I think there's sort of a, a good future for um, physical retail. So to close up, one other question I had for you. What secret project are you working on now to change the world again? <laughs> oh, what secret project? So I don't know. Um, I think sort of my next project um, will, will ultimately be about um, bringing together people and teams. So I think I've, I've always kind of thought, I guess to take a step back a little bit, I've always thought about business um, and projects and, and companies as a, obviously a vehicle to sort of create change. So, you know, all the great products come along and, and they do something that didn't exist before. They do something better. But for me, sort of the meaningful part of business has always been, can you bring together a group of like-minded people and, and accomplish something great with that group of people? And so whatever I do next will be focused on can I sort of surround myself with a great group of, of people um, and create some kind of platform where those people have the ability to do their best work? And I think when you do that, if you can, can find a way to do that, the business ultimately succeeds. And as a byproduct of that, the, the people sort of get to experience something that maybe they, they weren't able to experience before that. So um, I'm not sure sort of what, what form or what product or what business that will be, but I think sort of foundationally, it'll be about bringing together great people and hoping to create a platform where they can come and do their best work. I think that sounds like it's going to be very successful. It does. It's, it also <laughs> sounds like he can't talk about it. And it sounds like, can you say it again in English? <laughs> I'm just kidding. What I want to do now is what I like to call the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a little of this and a little of that. You just tell me really quick. This or that, all right? This is serious stuff. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Morning or night? Morning. Aisle seat or window seat? Aisle seat. Win a Peabody or win the Stanley Cup? Stanley Cup. What the hell is a Peabody? <laughs> 
Yes, you should know the Peabody is given to people in advertising. <laughs> Cash or credit? Cash. Amazon or Google? Amazon. Wing it or planet? Wing it. Call or text? Text. Passenger or driver? Driver. James Bond or Jason Bourne? Jason Bourne. Road bike or mountain bike? Mountain bike. Rich as Bill Gates or smart as Albert Einstein? Albert Einstein. Sand or snow? Sand. Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux? Gretzky. Sweater or hoodie? Hoodie. Okay, Chris, we got to talk. I think you should bring the suit back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, haven't we all had enough of these relaxing hoodies? (laughs) There's something so sexy about a man or a woman in a suit. You might picture this. You walk into a room and there's a guy standing there with a hoodie. And then there's a guy with a suit. You know you're looking at the guy with the suit. I just think it's time. James Bond. We used to talk about doing dress up Fridays. Oh, so it's so funny because, of course, because everyone else relaxes on Friday. (laughs) But I think that's great. I think we should all do it. I mean, I I think it's amazing how casual the world has gotten over video conference where we used to dress up or at least dress business professional every day. And now I get on video calls with C-level executives and they're sitting there in their T-shirt wearing a baseball cap. And it's like, did you guys remember you're actually going to work today? Right. I think that there has to be a part like where it used to be that like some head, you know, tech guy would feel like he doesn't need a suit. You know, he's going to lay on the beach with his T-shirt. But now I think because the world is so relaxed, let's bring it back. Let's Let's tighten it up. It works for Johnny Rose. That's right. Shit's Creek. I heard someone say the other day they had two meetings in the day. One meeting was with a company in San Francisco. The other was with a company in London. They got on the Zoom call at the company in San Francisco. It looked like everybody was getting ready to start their first day of kindergarten. (laughs) They got on the call with the company in London. It looked like they were going to a wedding. Exactly. (laughs) You see, that brings us to drinks, deal or delete. This is who you are going to have a drink with, who are you going to make a deal, and who are you just going to delete? Are you ready? I'm ready. Lance Armstrong, Mark Cuban, Warren Buffett. Mm. I know. What's the deal? Drinks, deal, or delete? See, this is tough. Is it? She used to make fun of me all the time because I I could never get it. I think I could get this one pretty quickly. (laughs) So I would, I would, I kind of want to say that I want to have drinks with Buffett, but that would only last an hour. So I think, (laughs) or less, I think I'd I'd rather make a deal with Buffett so that I could be in business with him for for the next 20 years and learn as much as possible. Um, Mark Cuban? What are my other two options? Lance Armstrong, Mark Cuban, Cuban, he owns the Mavericks, he's a chuck. Yeah. He seems like uh, an interesting guy. You got me cornered here. And Lance, I mean, <laughs> after you talk about his Tour de France and all oh, that yeah. stuff, you're going to... Yeah, well, I mean... Tour de France? Tour de France. Tour de France. <laughs> Tour de France. Lance is a polarizing figure. And I is think... he, though? He's a cheater, Chris. <laughs> Thanks for sharing your opinions. Polarizing. I think think he's done a lot. I think people think that he's a bad guy. Because he cheated? I think think that there's a, I think that there's a heart (laughs) underneath that rough surface. Listen, everyone deserves a second chance, but I think he cheated twice. Didn't he? (laughs) I don't know. This is controversial, but I think I'm deleting Cuban. Stop it. 
good. Okay. Listen, you got to do, I, I know that I had a feeling that was the whole point that it shouldn't be an easy decision. It should be something to think about. I think we all go for drinks. <laughs> all right, Chris. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. Yeah, and thank talking you, Chris. about death of a salesman and what the future will hold. And I hope that you come back and talk Thanks, to us guys. again. Thanks, guys. This is amazing. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. If you have any questions on what we've discussed or something you would like to hear more about, please email us at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh, 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 oh